Happy Father's Day. My name is Kyle. I'm the pastor here, and I just want to say thanks so much for being here today. Uh, if you're visiting with us, thanks again for coming. Uh, as Jasper mentioned, we have a lot of great churches in the area, so we're always honored when somebody stops by ours. So thank you for, for coming today. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalms 23, which you may already be there from worship, but uh, that's actually where we'll be in the sermon today. Uh, and so... Uh, Again, Father's Day for us is a little bit different than maybe what a lot of you know as Father's Day at a church. And so what I mean by that is, is that it seems to be that on Mother's Day, moms always get to come in and get loved on, right? Thanks for being, as they should, thanks for being amazing and wonderful and uh, just praised for being how good they are. And then on Father's Day, it always seems like fathers get beat over the head with how horrible they are, how much more they need to be doing. And, uh, and so that won't happen to you today. If you're here on Father's Day and you're a, a little feeling a little tense this morning, don't, okay? Just take a deep breath, relax. Uh, we're just going to continue in the sermon series we've been in. And, uh, and so just want to say happy Father's Day to you. Thank you for being uh, a father and, and for being a good father. And uh, anyway, so I uh, want to mention this just because we've mentioned it last week and there were uh, some that may not have heard. And so just going to mention this over the next couple of weeks. We did, in fact, purchase this property uh, within the last couple of weeks now. And so uh, praise God for that. Amen. Uh, it is, it is ours, and I, I made a, a goof last week. I said that we, the building team would be meeting today, and uh, there probably wouldn't be any, any people here to meet today, and so uh, we'll push that back to next week, and we're just going to talk about some remodel stuff and things like that. So anyway, I really look forward to seeing what this property becomes, uh, how God transforms it, and so we've got, uh, we bought it for 100000 It's got 4.4 acres with it, uh, what we thought was a really good deal, really gracious offer, and so we're glad to get that. And then uh, we're, we're going to push to have that paid off within two years. And so we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, in the coming weeks and months and, and how we'll do that. And uh, anyway, just praise God for where he has the church, for where we are, and, and for the ability to purchase a property. It was either that or possibly end up homeless. And so we didn't want that to happen either. So we're grateful to be here. Amen? Amen. Um, and, I, and I mentioned last week, and I'll mention this week because I always want you guys to know this. Uh, a process like that involves the elders of the church, it involves the deacons of the church, it involves a finance team, it involves a building team, and so there's lots of people who are looking in and helping make a decision like that happen. I, I just Sometimes people wonder how do decisions get made at churches. That's how that went for us. There were four different teams involved in that, uh, constantly communicating, meeting uh, almost once a month for every one of those teams. Some teams met more than that on it, and so uh, just making sure that we're all in on this together. Amen? So praise God for teamwork, right? Uh, anyway, all right, well, let's, uh, let's get into today's sermon. We started a, a series a couple of weeks ago called Psalms, and uh, we're just titling the Psalms, Trusting God in All Things. What we see throughout Psalms is there's 150 poems here. Uh, each one of them expresses some emotion. At something of life that you uh, no doubt are dealing with, but that was being dealt with by those who wrote these psalms. And so these were meant to be uh, sang in a congregation. And so I encouraged you guys last week to find some albums with psalms on them and just listen to them, hear them sung over you. One of my favorites uh, is by Shane and Shane. Psalms Volume 2 is wonderful, so I encourage you to pick that up uh, or just stream it online on YouTube. It's free. And uh, and just check those out. But, but to listen to those things, hear them sung, 
song over you, uh, to worship with them. There's nothing like just coming together and singing God's Word. Now, all of worship songs uh, that we sing here come from God's Word, but there's just something about singing it nearly verbatim as we've been doing over the last few weeks. It just really encourages your soul uh, and strengthens your walk with Christ. And so I would encourage you to do that. Uh, But in week one, what we did is we started by laying the foundation of what we would be walking through. We started in Psalms 1, which just presents two ways. There's the way of the godly and the way of the ungodly. And so this theme or this idea that was uncovered in the way of the godly that we we unearthed in Psalms chapter 1, we're going to continue that as we walk through these together. We're going to continue this idea of going the way of the godly. Amen? This is what we're all pursuing as Christ followers. We want to walk the way of the godly. We want to go a way that that God would be honored in, uh, a way that would be blessed by His hand being on us and with us as we're going. And so what we've seen just in the last couple of weeks is that that can happen, that that is achievable, it is possible. And so uh, last week we talked about trusting God uh, to preserve us, and, and we, we spoke from Psalm 16 on that. And, uh, and so what we see is that the truth is indeed that God does preserve His children. We saw at least four ways that He seeks to accomplish this from Psalm 16. Uh, and so if you're in a place of asking, how can I go any farther? Or saying, I don't think I can go any farther. I'm kind of at the end of my rope in this situation that I'm in or in life right now. And so I would encourage you to go back and listen to Psalm 16. We really address that in the way that God would work in your life and and seek to preserve you, to to help you move forward, to always be progressing in what He has for you. And so, uh, and then for today, I want to talk about, it's nearly in the same category, but we're just going to dive down a little deeper in it. But with Psalms 23, I want to talk about trusting God to care for us. Trusting God to care for us. So we're trusting God to preserve us. Now we're going to trust God to care for us. Now this passage is most familiar to us, right? Everybody nearly knows a piece of Psalms 23, right? I mean, um, you, you see it on coffee mugs, you see it in hallways, you see it in hospitals, bumper stickers. There's even a popular 90s rap song, Yay, Though I Walk Through the Valley of the Shadow of Death. I take a look at my life and realize there's nothing left, right? And then we're going to stop there because that's where the Bible stops. And so, uh, but but that's that there's at least a piece of that in Coolio's work. And so, uh, for those of you who may not have known, uh, even Coolio knows the, song, the 23rd Psalm. And so, um, I, let, let us just pray. And uh, this is certainly a well-known psalm. Let's pray that the Lord would use this in a way in our life that may be unfamiliar, right? Or at least reveal a truth to us that we have not seen yet. Or maybe remind you of a truth that you know from the 23rd Psalm that you've forgotten. Amen. Father, we come before you today just humbly in your presence. Father, we're asking that you speak to us. And so, Father, as any time we open up your word, whether it's with a preacher, whether it's sitting at uh, a nook in our house with some quiet time, any time we open your word, Father, our prayer is that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts that He would guide us and transform us and mold us into the child of God that you've created us to be. So, Father, that's our prayer today. Lord, my words only mean so much, and so I pray that those come out well uh, and aren't a stumbling block. But, Lord, more than anything, I pray that your Holy Spirit do the convicting, that you do the changing, that you alter the way we live because of the power that's in us uh, in Christ Jesus. So we pray these things in His precious name. Amen. Amen. So, 
Uh, Psalm 23 is placed perfectly after Psalm 22. Imagine that, right? And, and so there what we see in Psalm 22 is the wrath of uh, God is uh, poured out on Jesus, who is our divine shepherd, as we're going to read about today. Uh, but what we see, uh, here we see the providence that that brings, that, that God pouring out his wrath on his son for your behalf, Jesus crying out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, which is quoted in Psalm 22, um, is a cry, is the cry that leads us to the 23rd Psalm. And so one commentator put it this way, and I really like this. He said, it's the cry of our Lord, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, that gives us any right to say the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Amen? Because if, if Jesus doesn't go to the cross for us, if he doesn't go and, and find himself under God's wrath on our behalf, then you or I could never uh, wholeheartedly in Christ say, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. We, we would never reach that ability. And so, um, so this is where we're, we're at. And so we have a right to say it now, but I think too often we don't say it truthfully. I think the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, is a statement that we struggle to say. If we were more honest, we probably would say, the Lord is my shepherd, all I do is want. Right? The, the Lord is my shepherd, but all I do is want. All, all I do is want. And, and so you and I have a need for, just a natural need for comfort and security. And so we constantly want things that we think will contribute to the need of comfort. Right? Bigger houses, better clothes, nicer vehicles, uh, better jobs, better family environment. You know, it doesn't always have to be material. It could be spiritual. It could be emotional. All of those things are contributing to our comfort, and we're always saying we want these things or we want to do things that contribute to those things. There's not really anybody in here who would set out and say, I want to do whatever I can that goes against my well-being, right? Most of us are self-seeking in comfort. And then security is the same thing. We, uh, again, a job security is something that we're all kind of after, right? It's something that we're all looking forward to, we're, we're hoping for. Uh, security in your home, security for your children as they're out in the world, in school and things like that. You're, you're constantly wanting these things. Now, I don't lay these things before you to say that they're bad things. I'm just saying this is, this is the condition of our heart, the condition of our souls, our minds. These are the things that we think about most often. And so comfort uh, can take on a form, uh, uh, can take on the form of maybe meaning more hours at work so you get more money, which equals more stuff, right? Uh, it can take on the form of uh, this kind of this veil of joy or of peace that you get from uh, certain substances or pornography. Maybe it's a less hardcore thing, though, like the comfort you get from golfing or hunting or some other hobby. Likewise, I think protection takes on the form of nicer houses, certain friendships, avoiding people groups or neighborhoods. It takes on threats. Uh, sometimes when you feel threatened, you're going to give a threat in return. It takes on um, just this, this idea of, uh, it could be Sorry, uh, it could be all sorts of things like anger and, and all those attitudes that we see ourselves come into when we feel like our security has been threatened. And so likewise, I think protection takes on uh, the, those forms. Now, before you check out for the rest of this sermon or this time together, I want you to know that today's sermon is not a rant on stuff. It's not a rant against stuff. 
I'm just not against stuff. I'm not against comforts. I'm not against your peace. I'm not against your joy. The Lord is not against your peace or against your joy. Amen? And and so uh, while some things that were on those lists are sinful, some of those things were not sinful until they're used in a sinful way. Amen? And, And so this is my point for today. You and I have a gaping hole in our lives. That hole needs to be filled with things that comfort us and provide security for us. And and so what we do is we'll spend the rest of our lives and at whatever cost trying to fill those holes only to come up short in the end. But why? Well, you're created for wholeness. When God created man and woman and placed them into the garden, He placed them in a place where they could be whole where they could have all of their needs met, all of their comforts met, all of their joy would be to the fullest. And this is is what God is about in Christ Jesus. He's restoring us back to that state. Amen? This is what we're hoping for in heaven, that our joy would be maxed out, that our hope would be maxed out, that our peace would be maxed out. There would be no more pain, no more crying, no more death, no more sin, no more struggle. All all of those things would be gone, amen? And and so this is what we're hoping for. This is what God did when he created the earth and created man and woman and placed them in the gardens. He places you in a place, so you're created for wholeness. But we mess that up with sin. And and when, when sin enters the world, it creates brokenness. Everything now is broken, not just you or I, but everything that we encounter in this world will be broken. Systems are broken. Governments are broken. Uh, the, the way that the world creates things, the earth creates things, is all broken now. Romans 8 confirms this for us, that, that all of the earth is groaning and waiting for the day when Christ would restore it all back to its original intended perfect order. Amen. And our hearts are doing the same thing. Our souls are doing the same thing. And so the, the, the big idea that I have for you today, I guess, would be this, is that the godly person, as we continue this theme, the godly person trusts God to care for them. Just at the very most basic level, but also at the spiritual emotional level, the godly person trusts God to care for them in all aspects. Our goal is to trust God in all things, which means that we'll have to trust Him to care for us. Now, I think this is a lot easier said than done. Like I said earlier, we can see and read, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, and we can be like, amen. But, but when it comes to our lives, we're, we're far from amen on that, and more like the Lord is my shepherd, all I do is want. Here are the things that I need, here are the things that I'm after. It's great that the Lord is my shepherd, now let me go do these things. Let me go after these things because I think that thing brings the most joy into my life. And and so we find ourselves in this battle or the kind of this back and forth. God, in His providence, which just means His divine care for you, wants to and will meet your needs for comfort and security. You can rest assured of this. Amen? Notice I said your needs. He will meet your needs, not your wants, and we'll dive into that here in uh, a moment. So, Number one in, in your notes, the godly person trusts God to care for them. And, and so I just want to provide a couple of ways that God does care for you that I think we see here in Psalms 23. Number one is God cares for us through his provision. All right, so let me read this to you. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. 
And so the general theme, again, for the psalm is expressed right here in verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, then you kind of notice, and and hopefully we can do this together, you begin to notice the needs that are met by the Lord's grace as this uh, gracious shepherd. For the sheep, there are green pastures, there are still waters, which is, is, is just this idea of food and drink, right? There's the necessities of life here. God is interested in the most basic needs of our lives. Jesus taught the disciples to say, give us this day our daily bread when they were praying. And he said that if a man will seek first the kingdom of God, then he'll take care of food and drink and clothing and whatever needs he may have. Amen. So we can rest assured that God is certainly interested in your most basic needs and helping to meet those needs. Where we often get off track is with our wants not being met, right? And so God doesn't promise to supply every want of his sheep, but but every need of his sheep. Sometimes the Father will withhold those things that seem basic in order to supply the thing that is most basic. Amen? Let me say that again. I want to make sure we we hear this. Sometimes the, the Father will withhold those things which seem basic to give us the thing which is most basic. Amen? Sometimes even our wants feel like needs, but our wants are far more than what the basic need may be. And so I think the father, just like I would do with my own child, one of the, one of the roles of a father is to help his child see what the real need is and to know that the wants, when those are supplied, those are just pleasures forevermore. Amen. those are just things that come and go, as Ecclesiastes says. When, when they're here, we celebrate. When they're not here, we celebrate still. Amen? And so God is in the business of meeting your most basic needs. In verse 3, we see a God who not only cares for our basic needs, but one who tends to our spiritual needs as well. He's the one who guides his sheep on right paths. This is far more important, but it's neat to me. It's interesting to me. It's, I'm grateful that God would care for my basic needs while also sustaining and caring for my spiritual needs, guiding me on right paths. Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Oh, how often is my hunger and thirsting for something other than righteousness, though? How often do I find myself wanting and hungering and thirsting for things that God never intended for me to have anyway? And and not trusting Him for just the basic need, the, the spiritual need, the one that's most necessary for my soul, which is His righteousness. Oh, that I may hunger and thirst more for righteousness than for anything else. Amen? And you with me. Your soul often needs restoration. And this seems to be where we'll start looking in vain to someone or something to restore us. Some of the things that lead to this desert place may be things like this, neglecting God's word in prayer, unconfessed sin, unwillingness to reconcile a relationship, willfully disobeying God's command. Self-centeredness, unconcern for others. All of these things can lead to this desert place of feeling like we need restoration, although we're seeking it in the wrong place. We're seeking it apart from Christ's righteousness instead of right in the middle of that. And so he restores your soul by guiding you on paths of righteousness, which means that we need to take those steps 
on the path. Do the things that the Lord has commanded. When we come to a command in the Lord, we need to work diligently to make that a part of our lifestyles. To, to trust that He would help us to do this, but to also be active in that pursuit. Amen? But it's good to remind us of something that's very familiar here when James talks about faith without works is dead. It's one thing to say, I believe the Lord. It's another thing to say, I believe the Lord, and then to do the things that He's asking me to do. Amen? If we're going to resemble and become and be a, a real Christ follower, then we must not only believe, but we must do the things which Christ commands. Amen? Make those things a part of our life. Now, we mentioned at length last week, so it's worth noting today, just on a smaller scale, that God does guide His own, that He's guiding His children, the same God who used a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night to guide His people through the wilderness is still in the business of directing His people today. Amen? This is beautiful for us. And no matter what we're going through, the Lord is there to guide us. Psalm 32 verse 8 says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Praise God for that. I think our souls would do good to read that daily for a while, just to, just to know that the Lord is with us. And all of this is why. Why does He do any of this? Verse 3 confirms this for us. It's all for His name's sake. It's for His reputation. It's for His glory. It's for His honor. He supplies the needs of His people so they can bring glory to His name. Therefore, we can trust Him with confidence. Amen? This is one of the things that Paul points out in Philippians when he's encouraging them there to live for the Lord in spite of persecution. One of the things he says is, you can be encouraged because the Lord will grant you fearlessness so that the world can look at you and tell that you're mine. And so the same is true for us. The Lord will grant to you the things that you need today so that you can live in such a way that you can proclaim His name so that the world knows you're His Amen? Our, our needs are not met because we're, we're amazing in some way. Our needs are met because God is amazing in all the ways. Amen? And, and so we can trust Him. We can be confident that the Lord will meet your needs. The second thing that I think we see here is that God cares for us through His protection. Let me just read verses 4 and 5 here. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, it's really hard to read that without sounding like Coolio. Uh, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Amen? So God cares for us through His protection. Now let me just kind of lay these things out for you. God doesn't promise to protect His own from rough footing. Amen? It's not that God is going to make uh, all of your ways perfectly peaceful. It's that you can be perfectly peaceful in all of your ways. Amen? Because you're standing on the rock of Christ Jesus. And so uh, His intention is to give security from overpowering evil. It's to protect your soul. 
This is what Christ is after. This is what God is after. And so we see that as the psalmist speaks about going through the valley of death, which is the roughest and most dangerous ground available, uh, we, we see that he can trust in the Lord. What does he say? He says, though I walk through it, um, he, he says, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so even the valley of the shadow of death can't produce terror in the believer. And here's why. Here's what Jesus illustrates for us when he came and lived on the earth and provided his teachings for us. This is what he says. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Is what Jesus asked. Until that day comes, though, evil will take the form of trouble or temptation to sin, yet you don't have to be overpowered by these. Again, God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 1 Corinthians 10 is one of my favorites to hold on to when I'm dealing with overwhelming temptation. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not lead you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There's this idea that even in the temptation, the Lord is providing the way of escape. But that fall, the onus on that falls on us, doesn't it? That we be looking for, that we be seeking the way of escape. I don't know about you, but what I find when I'm faced with overwhelming temptation is a lot of time I'm suppressing the exit. Amen. I see the exit. I know the exit. I know I shouldn't respond this way. I know I shouldn't let this rile me up. Or I see those things, and, and yet I'll suppress them. I'll kind of push them away so that I can do what my flesh desires to do. Oh, how sorrow! I, how much sorrow I feel when I go through those times. Amen. So I, I love the imagery in verse five. The imagery in verse five is that David is surrounded by. His enemies. He's surrounded by these things that are sent to overtake him. And so the enemies have surrounded God's child, yet God prepares a table for his child while the enemy looks on in hunger. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. One commentator, he, he points out two things in this line of thought. The first thing he says is that your enemies will not be able to cut, uh, to cut you sorry, to cut off the divine supply. Amen? That, that even in the presence of my enemies, they're not able to cut off this divine supply that I have because of whose I am. Amen? That, that even in the presence of my enemies, even in overwhelming temptation and corruption and sin, these things are sent to overtake me. Even in those things, the Lord is right here and he's preparing a commentator says, is your enemies will not be allowed to press you so hard and continuously that, that there will be no time and opportunity to sit down at the table with the Lord and eat. Man, I love that idea, is that even our enemies, sin and temptation and greater things than that, even those things bow to the name of the Lord, amen? That, that he's sovereign over even, even those things. I think a lot of times we walk around with this idea that Satan and God are like competing forces. And there's just not much further from the truth than this, that God is sovereign even over the devil. 
Amen? And that if the, de- if the devil is in our lives and he's corrupting us and doing these things, a lot of that is because of, the one, the sin nature that's in us, but, but like we see with Job, Satan's not allowed to do anything that the Father wouldn't allow him to do. Amen? Which is quite incredible. And so this is why I think last week we talked about the, the quote from Charles Spurgeon that I love so much that he said, I've learned to kiss the waves which throw me against the rock of ages. He knows that the waves are under the Lord's control and they're sent to throw him back against the rock of ages. Amen? And so what an incredible place for us to be. So what's at the table? When we come and we find ourselves in this place of being able to dine with our Lord, what's at the table? I believe that the rest of the verse tells us. He says, you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. That that phrase literally means you provide new grace from on high daily or in abundance. That, That at the table of the Lord is this idea of new grace every single day. Enough grace, sufficient grace to make it through whatever you need to make it through and that in that, your cup will overflow. So this cup overflowing is, is kind of an idea that was prevalent in this culture. And so I, I've got a little illustration for you. In the culture here, and this is something I think we need to bring back, all right? Um, when you would have a guest over, you would take their cup and you would set it before them just like you would at your house, right? And the idea is that you would have this cup set before them and you would fill it. And anytime it went empty, you would fill it back up until you were ready for the guest to leave your home, right? And that's where I think it'd be a great idea to, to bring this back. What an awesome idea, right? So you look down, my cup's not full. You're kind of looking around. You feel a little awkward because you're like, dang, I stayed too long. But you would know it's time to go, right? It's time to get out. So I think it's a great idea. But anyway, this is the idea that we see here is that when a guest would come over, the, that their cup would be full. But the really special guest, the guest who uh, was really a, an honored guest, I guess you could say, would be the one who had a, uh, a cup that overflowed. So water and wine, whatever drink they had then at dinner, was really precious. And so the idea of spilling any was a really bad thing, right? They didn't have faucets to turn on and get water from. It was work to get that, and so it was a precious commodity, and so... Uh, but the, the guest of honor, somebody who was there that, that they didn't want to leave, they would just go and they would overflow that cup, just letting them know, come stay a while with us, reside with us. And so this is the idea we see. Now here's what I want to show you, because here's what I think that, that we begin to happen, is we come to Christ Jesus and, and we receive this grace, amen, this grace that saves us. And we receive Christ as Savior by placing our faith in Him because of the grace with which He saved us with. And and so we have a cup that's full. And then as life happens, is the the only way I know to describe it, as temptations come and we fall to those things, as our marriages begin to get corrupted, we find ourselves not not communicating the ways that we used to, we find ourselves not uh, participating in things that that the Lord has sent or given to us, or life just gets rough, we begin to be poured out, amen, and we begin to lose a lot of what the Lord has given us just based on life. And so we find ourselves getting lower and lower and lower until we've run empty. We've got this empty cup before the Lord. 
Now, the idea that we see here is that you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. And so what happens is, is God has at the table divine grace for you, more than enough for you, so much so that it will never run out if we'll just simply dine with him. And here's the idea is that the Lord wants to fill our cup. Amen? Wants to fill it until it just begins to overflow. Amen? And this is what we see in the Lord, is that He has filled us in such a way that your cup will not ever run dry. That when we come and dine with the Father, we dine with the Lord, our cup may be full, our cup may overflow, but it's because of His grace. And so the idea of the culture and the thing that was going on here is not that you are some super special guest in your own right. Amen? But that in Christ Jesus, we are a special guest to the Lord. We are His very own child, and He's invited us to come and to stay forever with Him, to dine with Him. Amen? And so verse 6, at the end of all of this, verse 6 is like this just amazing doxology, which just means praise to God. So verses 1 through 5 are theology, as we would say it. It's the study of the Lord. It's the study of God, and and it leads to verse 6, where David just erupts in joyous praise before the Lord. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen? He says this because, he, uh, because of where he starts. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Here are all the things he does for me, for his child. He's invited me to come and to stay a while. My cup is overflowing because of his grace. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the confidence that is available to every single one of you today. That because of what Christ Jesus did in Psalm 22, where he's under the wrath of God, leads to him becoming the good shepherd of Psalm 23. And because of that, through faith in Christ, we can cry out with David, surely Goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. One way to read that would be God's goodness and mercy continually follow the child of God all the days of their life. And He's always with you. His goodness and His mercy are with you. And more importantly, you will, you will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. If your heart is singing this, if your heart is in this, if your heart's truly been transformed by God, then you can have confidence that surely His goodness and mercy will follow you, and also, surely you'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This isn't available to just anybody. This is only available to the ones who receive Jesus Christ by faith in Him. Amen?
Matthew Henry says this, and this is where I want to close it today. Alan, you can come up. Matthew Henry says, If God be a shepherd to us, we must be as sheep, inoffensive, meek, and quiet, silent before the shears, nay, before the butcher too, useful and sociable. We must know the shepherd's voice and follow him. Amen. Just stand to your feet this morning.